today, on this beautiful Sunday, the church commemorates two things. One is the translation of the relic of St. Andrew, the first called apostle, and the other on September 26th, the church commemorates the falling asleep of St. John the theologian. The life of St. John is extremely interesting and intriguing. Uh, most people know the basics about him. They know that he was one of the four evangelists. He wrote the gospel. You see, you see right behind the chandelier here with the mountains behind him, St. John writing the gospel. In most Orthodox churches, the four evangelists sit on the walls below the dome. So if you picture most Orthodox churches, this not being a typical Orthodox church, you'd have a big dome and usually there are pillars that hold up the dome and the evangelists would be painted somewhere above the pillars because symbolically and theologically speaking, the Gospels are the pillars of the church. Without those Gospels, there is no church. And therefore, John is known for being one of the writers of the Gospels, an evangelist, and, a, and one of the twelve. He's known for being, even though he was very, very, by far the youngest apostle, he had a lot of privilege. He was one of the, and I don't mean it in the worldly way today of privilege, but he was privileged to be, blessed to be one of the three apostles present on Mount Tabor for the transfiguration, when Christ was transfigured. He was at the Last Supper. We, in the icon, usually he has his head resting on Christ's chest or shoulder. There's a tradition, a historical tradition in the church that one of the reasons that he was so beloved by Christ, aside from the fact that he was a very pious and faithful man, is that they had a relationship. There is a tradition, a historical tradition in the church. We know that he had a brother named James. They were, their mother was Salome. They were the sons of a man named Zebedee. You hear that when they were first called by Christ to abandon their fishing nets and boats and follow him. But there is another historical tradition in the church that he may have been the nephew of Christ through Joseph, that he was from a, a, a grandson of Joseph from his first marriage before Joseph became the protector and betrothed of the Virgin Mary. So he goes through his life. We know that on the cross, Christ asks him, gives him responsibility for his mother, for the Virgin Mary. He loved him so much and trusted him. He gave him the responsibility to care for his mother. She lived in his home in, with St. John. And then we know that he was assigned, he was, they drew lots, the tradition is, in the book of Acts. After Christ's death and resurrection, the apostles were going to go and disperse in different parts of the world and spread the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And he received Ephesus, and he wasn't too happy about Ephesus. Not because Ephesus wasn't beautiful or because it was hard to get to, but because he knew it would be hard. Ephesus had a very strong pagan tradition. And it was so strong, they had the god of Artemis. Not only were they strongly faithful pagans, but they were by far, at the time, known to be the most violent against Christians. 
And so he wasn't so happy about it. But we know that the church in Ephesus thrived. And we know that he was arrested with his disciple. And they were exiled to an island that is an island that they would send prisoners. First they tried to, to martyr them. They tried to uh, persecute them, burn them in oil, cut their skin, um, stretch their bodies with mechanisms that would, that would be torturous and nothing would affect them. So the emperor said, he was a bit afraid and he said, and he said if people see that I keep persecuting him and nothing happens, more people will believe in him and in Christ. So he exiled him to an island called Patmos. It's an island that exists today in Greece. It's considered today the island of St. John. And it, he thought Ephesus was bad. Patmos was worse. Patmos had a sorcerer, a, a, a pagan magician, that would openly pray to, the, to, the, to Satan. And he was the one that was basically ruling the island. And when he got to Patmos, the boat that took him there, there were some miracles that happened on the journey. And the, the, the guards, the Roman guards that were in charge of executing this trip and making sure the prisoners were taken to the island and imprisoned, they said, we're not leaving you to John. We're going to stay with you because we, we see something in you. And he said to them very wisely, if you stay with me, you'll be in trouble. I'll tell you what he says. You go back, but before you go, I'll baptize you. And he baptized his guards. The prisoner baptized his guards. And not only that, but within some time, the entire island, both prisoners and non-prisoners, had become Christian. They had believed in the word of John. It was from this island that John wrote his three, the three universal letters, the epistles of St. John, letters to the people in Ephesus since he was imprisoned on Patmos. It's where he wrote the book of Revelation. And at the end, the Gospel of St. John, which is by far the most theological of all the three of the four Gospels, which begins, Enarchi inologos, in the beginning was the Word. And it's read Sunday night, or Saturday night, in the liturgy following the midnight service of Anastasis. What's interesting is that today many of us wonder whether the church needs to change. You know, they say we need to keep up with the times. We need to pivot. And I think it's okay to think that in some ways, meaning that we need to have a plan. We need to have a strategy. We need to use technology. You see, during COVID, technology made the, the Gospels able to come into people's homes. But sometimes we get confused about what else needs to change. And what's, what struck me today was that John didn't change. The gospel didn't change. The truth didn't change. But the truth and the gospel changed Fatima and Ephesus and the world. And I think sometimes we need to keep into, we need to keep in our minds the fact that the church the theology, the dogma, the doctrine, the holiness can't change. The holiness needs to go out into the world and change the world. 
and not the other way around. And a lot of that responsibility falls on us. St. John told people at the end especially, my little children love one another. In his gospel he said, if you don't love your brothers and sisters, not literally, but your fellow human beings, whom you see, how can you love God who you don't see? In other words, he's saying if you, have, if you don't have feelings of love for people, then you can't love God. We need to understand that we have a responsibility to change the world, to offer into the world love and peace and joy and the traditions of the church, to offer into the world our example, the Orthodox example. We've said many times here that people should see us and by the way we live, by the way we love, by the way we forgive, they should recognize that we're Orthodox Christians. They should say they must be Orthodox. Look at the way they love and the way they forgive and how happy they are and the peace that they have and how slow they are to become angry and so on and so forth. These, of course, are difficult things, I admit, even for myself. But it's good that we have examples like St. John that remind us that the church doesn't change, but the church changes the world and makes it a better place, a holier place, and hopefully we can be a part of that.